Have you thought this through? No way will that work. Are you sure? Is there any money in that? You'll never make any money doing that. How are you going to get the mortgage? Just get a job. You're going to try and settle that? Why can't you be normal like anybody else? All right. Well, your parents are moms, too. The savvy entrepreneur to the rescue. Congratulations. That really turned out well. I wish I had thought of that. I never thought of anyone this. How did you do that? I'm so glad you're trying to your dreams. I wish I had the courage to follow my dreams. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Savvy Entrepreneur Show. We're broadcasting on WLCB 101.5 FM, based in the greater Chicago, Milwaukee area. If you're an entrepreneur or a small business person, this show is for you. I'm Doris Nagel, your host for the next hour. I'm a serial entrepreneur myself, and I've counseled lots of startups and small businesses over the past 30 years. I have seen a lot of mistakes, and I've made plenty myself. The show really has two goals, to share helpful information and resources, and to inspire, to make your journey as an entrepreneur faster and easier, and maybe just a bit more fun. Now, to help with that, I have guests every week on the show who are willing to share their stories and their advice. And this week's guest is Jason Weaver, the CEO and founder of AirDeck. AirDeck is a company that allows you to create, distribute, and track narrated presentations. Its users are recording things like on-demand webinars, personalizing sales presentations, creating employee onboarding guides, sending investor pitch decks, frankly, almost anything that you can think of that is used for PowerPoint presentations or Pripty decks or other kinds of presentations to communicate with other people. Jason says that AirDeck is way easier to use than creating videos, and everybody knows how important video is for today's social media. And he says it has better tracking capabilities. Now, just before I start with Jason's biography, I have to warn you, Jason is one seriously accomplished human being. He's a prominent author and thought leader in product innovation, digital marketing, and entrepreneurship. Prior to launching AirDeck, he founded and successfully exited from two other technology companies, including Shoutlet, which is a social media management platform, and Spendship, a mobile loyalty platform. He's authored numerous articles for publications, including Forbes, Mashable, and Bloomberg. He's a frequent speaker, and his book, Manager's Guide to Online Marketing, has become a go-to guide for companies. Jason has raised over $50 million in venture funding for his company. companies. He's also an active angel investor and advisor for several emerging technology companies, the likes of Emma, Live School, Venture 360, and Directly. He works as an advisor to both venture capital firms and network angel funding groups, and he's been a technology advisor to some of the world's most recognizable companies, just to name a couple in a very long list, eBay, Miller Brewing, American Family Insurance, Best Buy, Ikea, and Nissan, to name just a few. With that introduction, Jason, I, you must be like 80 years old. <laughs> <laughs> Is 
thank you. Well, thank, thank you. Thanks you know, so much. It for, feels like that. Thanks, <laughs> thanks so much for being on the show. Welcome to the Savvy Entrepreneur Show. No, thank you for having me. Now I'm excited to be a guest here. Yeah, it's funny when you say it must be 80 years old. I always say when uh, when when you're in the startup world, you work in dog years, as you know, so seven times the speed <laughs> of normal companies. So I feel I feel like I've aged that, but no, I'm not 80 yet. <laughs> so. <laughs> no, I saw your headshot. I mean, you don't look 80 at all, but I'm just teasing you. It's an amazing list of accomplishments, and I'm really honored that you joined the show uh, the place to start, I think, is with your current venture, AirDeck. What is AirDeck? Tell us a little more about it. I said something in the introduction, but sure. I don't think that quite does the company justice. Yeah, it's interesting. So, Air, yes, thank you. Um, AirDeck is we're we're just coming up on our first year in business here. AirDeck is a platform, an online platform that allows you to walk anybody through any document or presentation using your voice. And it's really taken off because you can imagine when you're when you're sending PDFs and PowerPoints and stuff like that to people, you you really lose the context behind it if you're not able, able to explain it. And the other thing about it is, I think you know we, we we live in this world of asynchronous communication now, where you know I can send an email and I can reply back in in my own time or Slack message, etc. Except for we still have a lot of Zoom meetings and and live stuff. Well, when you can't have those live meetings, there's no like next step besides just sending over a PDF or document. So when we invented AirDeck, it allows you to add voice or video to any document. So you can kind of explain yourself as you're walking through things. And it's been used for numerous business cases you kind of outlined at the beginning of the show. So what's unique about AirDeck? I mean, there are other ways to narrate PowerPoint slides, for example. But what's unique about AirDeck? Well, I think it's a combination of things that makes it unique, right? So, of course, that's how I started, by the way. I I started just narrating PowerPoints with a built-in recorder and sending that out to people. But then I had challenges with file sizes being sent. I wasn't able to track what people are viewing. I wasn't able to put much interactivity into it to keep those documents engaging, you know, for the people that were receiving it. So AirDeck is a SaaS platform, meaning software as a service online-based platform. And we had a lot of those pieces that I just mentioned built into this platform that keeps your documents engaging and, and you know, that people can walk through and you can kind of measure what they're looking at while they're viewing it. So I think it's a combination of those things that makes AirDeck truly unique. How do you track, I mean, I don't want you to get into the code, but how does it track engagement as people go through the slides in a deck, for example, or slides in a a webinar presentation. How does it do that? Well, you upload your file sources and record directly into AirDeck's cloud platform. What that does, it allows you to have complete control of your content. People who are viewing your content are viewing it from the AirDeck cloud servers, meaning complete control is I can turn on and off content even after it's been shared. I can update content even after it's been posted on third-party websites or on social media. You know, it gives you a lot of flexibility. With that also has probably one of the things, I know you mentioned at the beginning of the show here that it's different than video. One of the things we say is that AirDeck allows you to add voice or video to a document one single page at a time. So you can quickly update stuff when you need to. The only other alternative is you can record like a Zoom call with video. But if you need to make a change, you have to record that entire video again, right? With AirDeck, you change one slide or one page or just change that clip. So it allows you to be very flexible and additionally add a lot of 
personal touch to presentations and documents as you send it out. Our AirDeck customers are speaking to their customer. You know, they're saying, hey, Doris, this is a presentation that we went through today. Here's page three, what we talked about, instead of at customers, which a lot of people do with video. Interesting. Well, we'll have to talk afterward. I do online training for an online training company, and it just occurs to me, I have to update, actually, a couple of my courses, and I'm talking to them later today about the process of doing that, but maybe I could use something like AirDeck to create I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure you'd friend. love it. <laughs> Sorry, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm you'd pretty, love it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I would. Who knows? You may have a new customer. Don't know. But so how does this get used from a search engine optimization SEO perspective? Do the Google algorithms treat this like video or not video or something? In yeah, between? I, I, I think it's a, even a little bit better than the video. Again, a video, you're kind of locked into things unless you can add like, as you know, like closed caption and description that can be searchable through. A Google search, uh, you know, video has some inherent flaws. I mean, video is, is awesome, right, for engaging and telling a story. But, you know, when you don't have a production crew or time to edit and stuff like that, AirDeck is a good option for you. You know, you can just upload a document, add voice or video on top of that document and send it out, right? Regarding, you know, SEO and, and those kind of things, you know, we live in this world of social media now. So we're constantly using our own platform to post to like LinkedIn, Facebook and Google, and we're adding hashtags and keywords and stuff like that around that presentation that draws people to it. It works very effectively for us. Well, you've done a lot of things already very successfully in your career. What made you decide to start this business? Yeah, thank you. That's a great question. And I had a lot of other things in mind. It was through through other, another idea that this came about. One day I was putting together an investor presentation and uh, I knew that I wanted to meet with, let's say, 100 angel investors. So I wanted to go and pitch them a business idea. And I had a specific idea in mind and I, and I put it together, great presentation. And then I thought, OK, there's no way that I'm going to be able to have an individual phone call or webinar with all these different investors with this this idea. So I need to hit a bunch of them at once and gauge their interest. So I sat down exactly what you talked about and I recorded a PowerPoint presentation. I added audio to each individual slide. The only option back then was I exported it as a video file. You'll, you'll mm -hmm. see why here in a second that I invented everything. And then I sent that video file out and uh, I hit about 100 angel investors and almost all of them wrote back asking me how I put that presentation together. Not that they were commenting that they're interested in my other idea. So I knew I was onto something. So I knew that I was onto something. I was like, wow, that's really interesting. So I searched online for like on-demand platforms and ones that could be done asynchronously. And there weren't a lot of options. You can kludge together a solution for something suboptimal. You know, you can put together a video, but then if you make a typo at the end, like I did, you know, you can't update it. You know, you have to record the whole video again. If you want well, to, I, I'll interrupt you. You can because yeah. I've done it, but then you have to be able to use video editing software like yeah. Camtasia, right. which I spent a long time trying to learn. It's very useful, but yet another piece of software then that you have to mess around with. Yes, it is possible. You're absolutely right. I use Final Cut Pro, and there's lots of options out there, but for the average user, right, average marketing manager, average salesperson, average teacher, 
they're not video editors. You and I, you and I can do that because we're in the production business, right? But it's not easy for a lot of people to work with video, right? So this right. this provided an alternative to them that was as I, I like to say it's as powerful as video, but as easy to edit as PowerPoint. You know, because you can sit back and watch an entire Air Deck presentation play through just like you're watching a video. But the, the viewer doesn't know that behind the scenes, I can update that presentation in seconds. Amazing. 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 So how did you decide to get started and how did you get started? So you had a moment where an aha moment after sending out this deck to 100 angel investors. Mm-hmm. Then how did you get started? Well, I knew I was on to something. I mean, I was fortunate to have a, you know, a couple of prior exits. So I, I, I seeded it with my own money in the beginning. You know, I, I, I talked to a couple of friends of mine that were developers and said, hey, you know, can you give me a good deal on developing this idea I have for a SaaS-based platform, online platform? And, uh, you know, I want to try it out and just test it. Something in my gut is telling me that this is going to be pretty cool. And they got behind it. They liked the idea a lot. So we built it and we messed around with it for a good, you know, five, six months. And then I gave it to a few of my friends that became CEOs at other software companies and stuff and got their feedback. And they gave me some remarkable feedback. Like we added surveys to it. I didn't think of that. You know, we added hyperlink tracking to it. I didn't think of that when I first built it. You know, we added collaboration where a team could work on something together. I never thought of that either. So all the feedback we got in the beginning was invaluable. Right. And then. How I decided to make it an actual business is actually I have to I have to give credit to Dave Trotter, one of my first investors here. I was meeting with him about other companies, and he's like, "What are you, Jason, working on today?" And I said, "Well, let me show you this Air Deck thing. It's cool." And he's like, "Holy moly!" <laughs> he's like, "You know, this is awesome." He's like, "You know, I would invest in this if you really wanted to make a, a business out of it." And I said, "Well, I have a few hundred users now, but, but wow, that's a but, dream come true. I mean, oh, you yeah. have it in- you know, hey, I'd fund this if you decide to make it a business. I mean, you know how many entrepreneurs who are running around with that little tin cup trying to get two minutes of an investor's time? Unbelievable. Well, I I, I think I had an unfair advantage because we had a big exit with Shoutlet and raised, you know, money there. So, you know, it's it's always easier, as you know, with your second or third time, you know, if you've had some exits. So I think that helped. David had known me from, you know, that. Well, if there's. Yeah, if they're successful exits, Jason. <laughs> yeah, <you're> right. <laughs> if they're true. not successful exits, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So, so he he kind of pushed me into into thinking about it, and I even I even held back on him in the, in the beginning. I said, David, I I don't want to take your funding, your money, if I don't know if it can convert to paid users. So right at the time, I had about 300 free users, right? Not much, but you know enough to get product feedback. And he's like, well, what is it going to take? I said, well, give me like 60, 90 days and let me see if I can turn on this switch from a freemium product to a free trial, 14-day trial, and see if I can convert some paid users. And I, it wasn't long. I switched that over. And within the first two weeks, we started seeing a whole bunch of paid users signing up. And I called him back up and said, let's do it. Let's do it. Wow. So he was our first investor at Winnebago. And... uh Invested $500,000, which was enough for me to add to the team a little bit. And then we started getting some more momentum. And then, as you probably read recently, we closed on an additional $3.4 million in funding. I saw that, but I also know because the guys at Rock River Capital, Andy and Chris, were my guests on the show a couple of weeks ago. And they actually mentioned your business. And I said, 
you know, they when they mentioned it, I said, I think I've heard, <laughs> I've never heard of that. And lo and behold, here you are. So the world, yeah. at least in Wisconsin startups, the ecosystem is still, I think, relatively small and people are pretty connected, which is, which is really nice. It's great. Yeah, so they're, they're, tell me a little bit about your business model. You said you have paid subscribers. How did you decide what kind of model to use to monetize this platform? Well, there, there was, yeah, it's, that's, that's a great question, actually. So prior to AirDeck with my SaaS companies that I've had before, I've always sold at an enterprise model, you know, high contract value, $20,000 plus for licenses and went after big companies. What I noticed, you know, the few years that I had off from, you know, when I sold Shoutlet to today was what I've been calling this subscription-based model now where, um, you know, like with Slack and Zoom and, you know, we just talked about GoToMeeting here before the call. Mm-hmm. They can sell down to the individual user, but they can also sell as a group, you know, like a big model. So if you think about Slack, you know, you can sell, you can buy like a $20 a month license for one user and swipe your credit card, never talk to anybody and just start using it happily ever after. But they Mm -hmm. also have 300,000 users at IBM using Slack, right? All Mm -hmm. the employees at IBM. So I knew that I had to approach this model differently this time, which was very different for me. I had to be able to sell down to a person that has a single presentation. And then I also had to be able to sell to the enterprise. So there is some models out there, fortunately, that I could borrow their their format from, Slack being one, you know, Zoom being another. Uh, mm-hmm. So we started price testing. We did a freemium model in the beginning that wasn't converting enough people. So we moved to a trial model that seemed to be, you know, 14 days seemed to be about the sweet spot that people could decide if they liked our platform or not. And then we started refining our features and messaging and, and measuring that conversion. And the interesting thing is, you know, as I kind of, watched how people were using our business, you know, how people were using our platform, the business started changing a little bit, right? So I originally built it for mostly sales pitch decks because that's the business I was in or investor pitch decks. And then I noticed Mm -hmm. about 30, 40% of our users were trying to do voiceovers for full documents like apartment leasing agreements and sales contracts and those kind of things. And I thought, You're okay, kidding. I would never no, no. have guessed that. Oh, oh, it was, it's amazing to see. And I log in every day and see something differently. You know, somebody walking people through any kind of contract, like, like I said, or, or document. Oh, so there's so much. Yeah, I didn't think about that. Yeah. There's so much that's missing that context, you know, context, if you can't explain it to somebody. So you have two options. You can send it over and write a big old long email and hope they read it. Right. Or you can get on a call like... Or you can fill it full of comments, which is time-consuming. I can tell you as a lawyer, it's a very time-consuming. Yes, right. Okay, yes, right. So as as lawyers, you know, there's a lot that could be left to interpretation if somebody's not explaining it to you. So so the only other option is do it live. Well, for me, I was like, all right, that takes a lot of time just to walk somebody through something. So imagine going through like a term sheet where you have might have a 100-page document, you're going back and forth, back and forth, explaining things. What if you could just voice over that, like, hey, and do a point, you know, attack in paragraph 2, section 3E, where we talk about, you know, redemption rights. Here's here's what we're, we're speaking of. Imagine if you could do that and drop in all these different tags and walk somebody through that document and send it over to them, and they can watch it in their own time, which we call on-demand, right? I might create that document at five in the morning. You might watch it at 11 p.m. at night, and then you can reply back to me without us having that call. 
And if you think about the world that we're in right now, everything is on demand, right? You have Spotify when you're listening to music. You have Hulu when you're watching TV. You have Netflix when you're watching movies, right? Yet in the business world, right. everything is still live or static, right? It's, you know, like an independent piece of paper kind of thing. And so AirDeck kind of fills that on-demand world, which is like, I'll create it. I'll add all the context to it with my voice. You watch it or listen to it when it's convenient for you and reply when you have time. Well, and as I alluded to with my online training courses, and I'm constantly listening to my daughter complain about her online Zoom classes, I'm going to guess that there's a piece of the market from an educational online training place yeah. that that yeah. might uh, yeah. might be interested in this too. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'll tell you a little story about that. So, you know, one of the things we were talking about at the beginning of this interview were, you know, how I got started. So after I had the initial 300 users happening, you know, then COVID broke out, right? So COVID's like, wow, hits in March. And I remember um, my daughter's sixth grade science teacher coming to me and saying, hey, you know, we've heard about AirDeck and stuff. We have 36 graders that have to hand in their final exam, right? And they need to be, be able to prepare it in their own time. We want to use AirDeck to allow them to do that. And I said, perfect, right? That, that would be perfect. <laughs> so, I, so I donated, wow. donated it to the class. So I had 36 grade students use it without any training, by the way. That's how easy it is. So without any training and all created their final exams and handed it in to their teacher. Then I went after that was successful and I, I was in contact with somebody called um, Free Educational Resources, somebody from Amazon.com put this page together when all the teachers were in scramble mode and I donated about 1000 licenses to schools and universities throughout the world. And that really spiked our usage. So we have, you know, we have universities down in New Zealand and we have a, you know, K through 12 schools in Ohio using it. I even had the other day, I was listening to a, um, a student in China speaking Chinese, finish, finishing her final paper using AirDeck. It was wonderful to see, how we could kind of give during that period of time and really get, you know, both for us beta tests and awareness, right, of our product, but also help those educators worldwide. Wow, insane. So how has COVID changed your business? I think I know the answer, but I'm curious. Yeah, it's, fun. Just, it's funny. I mean, what, what, a, what a wonderful convergence. I mean, it's, it's a terrible thing, but there are businesses that it's helping. It is helping. It is helping us a lot. It's helping us grow a lot. And, and I'm very blessed to have that happen. And I, as I've talked about with other people, this has happened twice in my life. The first time when I started Shoutlet was uh, 2008 when social media was just kind of getting heavy. And you might remember that as a housing meltdown and everybody was pulling yeah. back on traditional advertising. Radio, print, TV was, was getting killed. And then I was really worried about it. But all of a sudden, everybody wanted to be on Facebook, and my tool allowed them to do that. So, you know, we felt like, wow, that was perfect timing. And same thing with this. You know, I wasn't expecting COVID to happen, obviously. You know, I was thinking, you know, people are still going to have in-person meetings <laughs> and was, trade, shows, yeah. <laughs> trade shows and all that stuff. And now I think even today, I mean, COVID's forever changed the way we communicate. So many more people are going to be working at home forever now. You know, companies are announcing, announcing that every day. So many more events and staff are moving to virtual and I think that'll be for a while, right? Obviously we have to deal with this. 
And, um, you know, there's tools out there that you can use. Zoom is for live, AirDeck is for on demand. You got to have both. You know, you got to have those kind of tools in your arsenal to, to be able to operate in business today. So it's really helped our business grow, you know, creating awareness and showing people that by having AirDeck, I can add all that context to my presentations and documents and really communicate better. Amazing. Jason, lots more questions for you. For the moment, I need to ask you to hold your thoughts. We're going to take a quick break for station identification and a word from a couple of our sponsors. But stay tuned, folks. We'll be right back with Jason Weaver talking about his latest venture, AirDeck. This is Doris Nagel, and you're listening to the Savvy Entrepreneur Show. We're here this week with our guest, Jason Weaver. He's the CEO and founder of a company called AirDeck. And it's a very interesting concept that helps companies and individuals to be able to narrate their PowerPoint decks in a very slick, easy way. You know, Jason, you've been through this before, having started and successfully exited a couple of other businesses. What has been the best part about owning your own business? And I guess you could talk about AirDeck or a couple of your other startup companies, but what is it that you love about starting up and running your own businesses? Yeah, that's that's great. I, I think thank you for that question. Um I think for me I've always liked to be an inventor. So it's it's less about, you know, being an independent or a boss or something, you know, for me owning my own business, but it's more about inventing products. You know, I consider myself a chief product officer first, a CEO second most of the time. And it's funny, I was, I was having that conversation with my wife I'm in the kitchen the other day, and it just dawned on me, even now, right? I'm like, you know what the coolest thing is, I tell her about, about having this company, and she's like, what, is that I invented a product from nothing, zero, and people are using it and buying it every day, you know? Yeah. I mean, it just, just came yeah. from, from something. And I said, you know, I've done that three times now with different software that, that I, that I invented and whether, you know, it becomes a billion dollar success or whatever, just the fact that somebody finds value in it and uses it every day for their business, you know, is, is, um, is awesome to me, right? It's like writing a song and having people that love to listen to it. And, um, you know, I, 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 I like that the most, you know, being able to have, a product that I can work on every day that I'm proud of. It really gives me pleasure to kind of get feedback from customers, you know, how it's changing the way that they run their companies. And, you know, that inspires me to go on and build other things, right? So that that's probably been the biggest part is knowing that people appreciate something that you've built yourself. I wonder if when a business is a success like yours have been, is it hard to let go sometimes? Oh, and, yes, and yeah. The exit? I mean, it, exit is what everybody, it's the, you know, it's the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. But still, when it's your baby, it must be hard to let go. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'd say I, I cry every time. All right. It's just like the day your kid's born. You know, it's, uh, I, I, I equate, you know, kind of being an entrepreneur with exes to having children. You know, I have three children of my own. And, uh, you know, when you have children, you can do the best to make sure that they're happy, right? That they have what you think they need to succeed in life, right? But they're their own person. Eventually, they're going to grow up, go to college, get married, have their own career, et cetera. And all you can do is sit back and, and be proud of those things that you've contributed to their life. Same goes with startups, 
right? So um, I knew eventually um, it start at Shoutlit, which grew to be a big company and lots of users, that it became its own thing. And the hardest part for me that I learned from that first company was, you know, JSON does not equal Shoutlit or JSON is not AirDeck. AirDeck is something that I've created, but it will have a life on its own. And I think when you can come to realize that, then you understand that, yeah, even though you can be emotionally connected to these businesses and stuff like that, you know, you have to let them grow up and grow on beyond what you've started. Well, you you do if you want to scale. I mean, I guess it's one thing if you want to have a lifestyle business, and that's a perfectly okay decision. What I'm often struck by, though, is the number of entrepreneurs who say they want to scale and yet can't let go of the things they need to let go of to be able to effectively scale a business. So to me, at least, to scale it, you've got to have processes that are replicatable and that other people can come in and do, and you're no longer as essential. And I think that's really hard for a lot of entrepreneurs. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, it's interesting when you talk, when you talk about scaling, you know, there's this, uh, I think it was Ernest Hemingway quote I use all the time when I, with my employees and stuff. And I say, you know, never confuse movement with action, right? So you can be busy and spinning, <laughs> spinning, your, spinning yeah. your wheels and not feel like you're going forward. And I think when I look back at the startups that I've consulted with, you know, over the years, it's really been about the ability to execute on your vision as well as just, you know, have the vision and invent something. And that's really hard, right? That's even hard for me. That's hard for me, even with a couple exits and stuff. You know, and I still have to, you know, hire people that fill in the gaps of things that I know I'm just not good at, you know, to help me get that business to scale and to help put the pieces together that will help that business grow to where it needs to be. So that's that's been a really big part of my learning experience is, you know, surround yourself with a team that can get stuff done with you. Would you say that's been one of the hardest things about having your own business? Yeah, I think I think the hardest things about having your own business is it's lonely at the top, right? Is you know you need to have peers that you can rely on, you know, to to comfort you and and to uh, you know talk about different challenges that you might face collectively together. You know, I remember one one of the hardest patches that I've most difficult patches I had at one of my former companies. You know, we're like, I'm telling them where we're at financially. You know, I don't know how we're going to make it through this quarter. Stick with me. You know, one of those kind of conversations. And, Mm. you know, I had probably 100 plus employees at the time. And nobody, what I noticed, nobody asked me at the time how I was feeling, how I was doing. Right. And and I'm like, you know, it's hard for me, too. Everybody thinks that the CEO has got the greatest job. It's actually the most stressful job. Right. So. And, you know, I I remember at the end of this, the next day when somebody came back, somebody wrote me a note, which I still have, and left it on my desk. And she said in the note, I believe in your dream, right? And and that just just motivated me so much that I, you know, I just went to tears and I was like, okay, you know, we live another day. And that kind of turned things around for me. So, you know, I think that they they all got behind me, but, but it's really lonely at the top. And it was comforting to know that somebody actually at that moment, you know, kind of cared about how I was feeling as a CEO, you know. Yeah. Wow. That's a sweet story. Yeah, it is. It's tough. I mean, guest after guest on the show has talked about the pressure of being responsible for employees. I mean, to know that 
these families are depending on you for their livelihood and their kids' education. It's a a lot of pressure. And that's only one piece of the challenge, right? Yeah, yeah. It's funny because, you know, that puts it in great perspective. Not only do I have to make enough, you know, revenue to take care of my family, Jason Weaver's family, but, you know, at the time in Charlotte, we were like 120 people. You know, I, I feel responsible for all of them, right? You know, all all of their families and, and people that they're dependent on. And, and then many of them have gone on to do, do great things, you know, become VPs and CEOs themselves. And, you know, that that's an awesome responsibility when you know you are affecting people's lives permanently with what they're doing with you, you know, to build your company. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What are some of the roadblocks you faced with AirDeck in particular and how have you dealt with them? Well, we're dealing well, with. Haven't, there haven't been Oh no, there's roadblocks. <laughs> yeah, there's roadblocks. Uh, yeah, no, we're we're dealing with those now. You know, I I think the 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 probably the biggest thing that I've noticed is, uh, you know, is creating awareness. Right. We have a really really good chance of if somebody tries our product, they're going to buy our product. But the biggest challenge is they have to try our product. Right. And you're limited with the amount of marketing spend you can have, you're you're struggling with, you know, what channel is the best, how do we get the most conversion, those kind of things. And we still haven't quite nailed that yet, you know. And I think that, um, you know, if you can dial into that formula, then you begin to scale. And just like my, my, my existing, you know, my last company, when I raised 15 million, I told people that was my easiest round to raise because I already knew how to scale the business. It was just plugging in more fuel, you know. And right. and so for this, I'm still figuring that out. You know, we still I still very much consider ourselves a startup, and we're figuring out what are the things we need to overcome to be able to get ourselves to that kind of scale. So uh, it's a daily grind, though. It's hard. Well, yeah, I'm sure with your prior two businesses, as you as you said, they were more geared towards an enterprise sell, and I'm sure that's still a successful strategy to sell a large groups of licenses of AirDeck, but I'm just thinking about, you know, how the ordinary person finds out about interesting, useful kinds of presentation software things. Thinking of things like VideoScribe, for example, they struggle too, I think, you know, they have a very loyal following, but, and VideoScribe, for those of you who don't know, I, I like it because you can create these little cartoon-like things of line drawings, and people have probably seen them, but maybe didn't know what it was. But I'm just thinking of how they market, and it almost is like you have to see somebody else doing it, and then you go, well, that's really cool. How'd they do yep. that? And then you go find it, you know? Yeah, I think there's two sides of that. Yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. So if you go into a market that's existing, you're going to be fighting a lot of competitors. If you try to create a new market, then you have to create awareness, right? It's not like when when the iPad first came out, nobody knew we needed one until Steve Jobs told you you did, right? So there was you're not <laughs> right. you're, you're not exactly. like out there searching, you know, iPad when you don't know that exists yet. Same thing for AirDeck is. You're not out searching for how do I create narrated presentations and documents. You're probably searching for video or you're searching for, you know, PowerPoint stuff. And so we have to try to, you know, align ourselves with those businesses. But we are a blue ocean, you know, meaning something completely different than what's out there. And bringing something that's brand new to market is is always a challenge, you know, to try to get that awareness out there. 
Yeah. I always tell people selling into a what I call a nascent need is one of the biggest challenges for our business. You know, you want to be a disruptor, you want to be a unicorn, but be careful what you ask for because it's a very large challenge to convince people that you have a commodity they absolutely need, but they never knew they needed it. Yep, I agree. Where would you like your business to be in the next, say, three to five years? What will it look like if you're successful? Oh, that's funny because we're going through that planning process right now. <laughs> so we're we're putting we're putting that together. You know, for for us, we want to be synonymous with enterprise document engagement. You know, meaning that anytime that you need to explain yourself on a document, and you can't do that any other way besides you know adding voice or video, we want to be like that. So our our goal is to be you know a household name like Zoom is. You know, you, you can't get on a call now without somebody knowing knowing who Zoom is. You know, and I want that same level mm-hmm. awareness for us in three years from now, where it's like, oh, yeah, you got that legal agreement. You know, instead of doing a call, why don't you just upload that to AirDeck, add your commentary and send it over to them. Like, I want that just to be the first thing people think of right off the top of their, their, their mind. And, um, you know, we're working hard with our partnerships that we're putting together and different customers that we're building relationships with to make that happen. Very cool. Somebody like you, at some point, this business is successful. You are probably going to let that one grow up and leave the nest too, right? Uh, th- this one is a little bit different for me too. You know, I think when you when you look back at my history, right, there's some that had it took eight years for Charlotte to go from zero to an exit. It took only 18 months from Spin Center to go from zero to an exit. You know, and some of those, you know, you exit because you either have to. You know, you see changes in the marketplace, or there's different things that you want to do with your life that aren't aligning with where that business is heading. Or you want to, right? Because you know you get a substantial offer, you know, like we did with right. uh, with Charlotte. You get Charlotte. an offer you can't refuse. Right. And at that time, that was you know life changing money for me, right? That was that was that was gonna help out my family and my friends and people that worked with me as well, right? For that. And then you get to the point where I'm at in my life now, which is you want to leave a legacy. So. For me, this one is not so much about the quick exit. It's about making a global company, right? This one is about saying, you know, five years from now, when when they look back at this, like, oh, yeah, that's the guy that started that air deck thing, right? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. That's that's what's yeah, driving yeah. me right now. So, you know, I, I want I want to see this grow. I want to see it live on like we talked about with children. But. I don't know if that's a path to IPO or a much bigger company, but I'm building this company to leave behind a legacy for sure. That's my objective. Well, I'm sure you have other irons in the fire. You mentioned that you are an angel investor and you're an investor and an advisor. You strike me as the kind of person who probably needs to have a number of different things going on to keep you stimulated and engaged. What other kinds of projects are you thinking about for the future? Um, I, I mean, I'm not inv- inventing or working on anything outside of AirDeck right now. They're all of my passions being poured into that because I think it's got a long way to go. Like, a, there's a whole bunch of things we want to do with it. You know, we we see some big plans for that. So I'm, I'm excited about that. Every time I think I want to invent a side project or something like that, I, I 
map myself back to air deck and try to stay focused well, on that. All, all of us entrepreneurs are guilty of the bright shiny object, right? That seems yep. to be endemic to entrepreneurs in general. Go ahead, though. Sorry. But air, air deck is my passion now, so I'm really pouring that into it. How I satisfy that need, though, of, of you know seeing other things get involved or everything is I do have you know, a couple kind of consulting, you know, advisory role pieces that I'm involved with that my board and investors are aware of, you know, th- things that things that I do to help other entrepreneurs. I sit on a board of a really good emerging company called URL Genius that does, you know, URL tracking and, and mapping, you know, web to, to app downloads and stuff like that. They're another Madison-based company funded by Rock River Capital here. And um, so I can get involved in those as deep or as shallow as I want. And the thing I enjoy about that is where those entrepreneurs are. I'm a little bit older and further along that, um, you know, I walk in there and I, as I told Brian, the CEO of URL Genius, I'm like, it's like reading my diary from Shoutlet, you know, because all the challenges <laughs> and stuff that, that he's facing and yeah. trying to trying to grow a company. I've been through there. It's almost humorous. I can like, oh, yeah, I remember when that happened. You know, we lost our biggest customer. Like, oh, yeah, I remember when that big competitor came in the market, how we had to differentiate ourselves. Or, you know, employee challenges, you know, uh, product direction challenges. I mean, those kind of things, um, right. you know, you get right. you get an eight year run in a startup with a good exit. You know, you've seen a lot of things. And uh, so that that's kind of satisfies that need is getting getting those companies on path and, and sharing my experiences to hopefully help them grow their businesses as well. Mm. Well, if you come across somebody who's like a URL genius that actually has cookies that track podcast hits and downloads, you let me know because I've been struggling with, you know, people always ask me for my podcast, what's your listenership? And, you know, the only way you can get at it is anecdotally. I'm waiting for somebody to come up with a, a URL genius for podcasts. Maybe there is something, but uh, at the moment, it seems like that's a nut that hasn't quite been cracked yet. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure if that's a capability of URL Genius. We'll have to ask Brian or visit their website, but they, they have some substantially cool patented pieces of their platform that are really helping out some big, big companies like Louis Vuitton and, and those that, that use it. So uh, I'd encourage you to check it out. But they're you know another local Midwest company that's going to do very well. Great. Well, looking back through the journey now on your third time through, what advice do you give to entrepreneurs who are starting out or would you give to them? Yeah, there's, um, well, how long is your show? Because there's a lot of advice I would give. <laughs> a, well, a, we'll, get the, we'll get the abbreviated version this time. Maybe we'll have you come back yeah. for a longer version. Thank you, Doris. That'd be great. Um, no, you know, the couple things that I always talk about is one is, you know, only take funding if you absolutely need it. Right. So it sounds like a simple thing, but I see a lot of startups, particularly younger companies that are doing this for the first time, you know, build their product, try to get it to where they want. And then immediately they think the next thing you need to do is go out there and get it funded. Right. And, you know, when you get funded early and you're not hitting your, you know, revenue market, you're going to get a lot more dilution than if you would have held on a little bit. So I always say prove your your product will sell first before you go get funding. So prove your product will sell first before you go get funding, meaning, you know, get your friends, families and contacts and stuff to actually purchase the product and show that kind of conversion. And then, you know, when you feel comfortable that you've kind of nailed that down, then you can go get funding because not everybody's money spends the same. You know, the partners that you bring in. 
you know, have to be true partners with you when you receive venture capital funding. You know, it's like a marriage, as they say. So I say prove that model first before you go get funding. The next thing I would say my advice would be is enjoy the ride. I remember one of my co-founders, Aaron Everson, who's now CEO of another company, he had just exited, sold his company with a couple of partners, jellyfish.com to Microsoft for like $50 million. And I remember wow. I, I didn't have any personal net worth at the time. He became co-founder of Shoutlet and we were working together. And all the times I was stressful, you know, stressed out over that eight-year period, he'd always tell me, like, you're going to miss this. I'm like, yeah, right. I'm going to miss this. <laughs> like, you know, I want to exit, you know, like the stress and stuff. He's like, no, you're you're really going to miss the startup world. You know, you should be enjoying these these moments, stressful or even positive, as you go along. And um, and the funny thing is I got all the way up to it, you know, exited the company. And the, the weirdest thing for me was the next day, because I, I, I chose to leave after the exit, Nobody called me anymore. There was no more emails. <laughs> there was no more meetings that I had to be in. You know, I was just off work, you know, um, and that was weird, you know, and he was right. So the next thing you do as an entrepreneur, you know, even if you have a good exit is you're like, I got to do another thing. I got to get back in the game. You know, if if I'm sitting here just idling, you know, I'm just going to wither away. So you're working on your next idea, you know, and you're, you, you know, you know that you if you, I would have enjoyed that a little bit more along the way, I would have had a, you know, a more substantial kind of fulfilling feeling when, when we had an exit there. But uh, now I'm kind of stopping and smelling the roses every single time we have a tiny victory. It's celebrated here at AirDeck. Yeah. Wow. And it, it almost sounds like thinking through what other kinds of things you might do, almost like somebody who works in a company who's thinking about where would I go next? What's my plan B if I'm affected by this layoff? The same kind of thing is thinking about, well, what, what's next for me? And being prepared for that, it sounds like, is uh, a related piece of advice. Yes, exactly right. Yes. So, yeah, you know, thinking, thinking about the next thing, but also, um, you know, I think it's, yeah, it's re it's really enjoying the steps along the way too for me, you know. Um, and I, I'm still learning that, Doris. To be honest with you, I'm still learning to, you know, slow down a little bit and and really see the bigger picture rather than just focusing focusing on my tasks for the day, you know. So yeah. uh, I'm working on yeah. that. Well, one last question because the the time has just flown by. Sure. How should people reach you if they're interested in? And chatting with you about any of the things we've talked about today, or maybe they're interested in learning more about AirDeck. What's the best way to reach you or for them to learn about AirDeck? Well, thank you for that. Yeah. So one is I'd encourage everybody to have a free trial of AirDeck. So you can sign up today at airdeck.co, not .com.co. So A-I-R-D-E-C-K.co. And then last, you know, the last part is I'd love to hear from people. My most effective communication platform right now for me is LinkedIn. So if you can find me on LinkedIn, I'm, I'm very visible there. Uh, we have a great page on LinkedIn. You know, reach out to me that way and I'd be happy to connect with anybody. Jason, thank you so much for being on the show today. It was really a delight having you. I enjoyed it. Thank you for having me. We have just enough time on the show this week to talk about a question that Barbara from Indianapolis sent me recently. She says she's realized she needs more sales help in her startup business, and she asked whether it's better to hire someone as her first actual employee or to try to find someone on contract. 
Barbara, what a great question. It's certainly one that many small businesses getting started wrestle with. And the right answer, of course, varies depending on your situation. But here are some things to at least consider. First, it's tempting to hire that first employee. You'll feel like a real company at last. If you hire someone, you may think you have more control over this individual, that they're a more permanent part of the team, and for sure dedicating 100% of their time to your sales. But there are some downsides. First, there are a lot of expenses associated with that, for especially that first employee. You need to put in place a number of things that will scale as you add employees. But for that first employee, there's a lot. You have to set up a payroll vendor. You have to make sure that you have someone to ensure that all the appropriate taxes are withheld and paid. You need to think about benefits. Should the salesperson have a car or car allowance or health insurance? Will they get vacation or sick days? Will they get stock shares or stock options? And you can choose not to provide a lot of these benefits. The taxes are are not optional. But if you don't provide them, then the the individual might be willing to make some compromise for longer-term gain, and especially if they believe in what you and the company are doing. But you need to remember if they're talented, they'll have other options and those benefits that other companies are out there offering talented people will have some attractions for people. So just something to keep in mind, a lot of companies, you know, they're really watching their pennies, they want to go cheap. But, you know, if this person is the right hire, it can make or break your company. And so there's still other considerations, as I alluded to, making or breaking. You know, what if the person doesn't work out? Lots of companies, I can tell you, who hire their first employee have in mind what they think they're looking for. But it often turns out that there were things, whether it's skills, traits, responsibilities, things that you actually really need and want this person to have that they don't. And so they aren't a good fit. And then you have to go through the trouble of and the the anguish sometimes of letting the person go and starting all over with the hiring process, which can really set you back financially, as well as being a real time suck. There's also with hiring employee, a lack of flexibility. You know, sometimes you don't really need a full-time person and you won't know that till you get started, maybe. So if you only need 0.6 of a person, but you've agreed to pay for a full person, then what else are you going to do with this person? Or likewise, you could use a full person, but it turns out as your, your cash flow projections were a little optimistic and you can only afford to pay 0.6 of a person. But an employee who is full time is entitled to receive their full salary every single month. You might be able to negotiate a bit with them, but you are taking on risk because unhappy employees can file complaints. There are also administrative responsibilities when you have an actual employee. You know, there are a number of statutory requirements. You need an employee handbook and things like workers' comp. Again, they can all be outsourced, but they add to the cost. And the reality is that hiring that first employee adds a lot of expensive administrative burden 
So given this, a lot of companies that are starting out to hire, and I put that hire in quotation marks, somebody on contract, some people call these folks employees, but technically they are self-employed. And you report the money, you pay them not on a W-2, but on something called the 1099 form. And it's chosen and compensated. Well, these individuals can provide the same results with a lot more flexibility and less administrative burden. But again, you need to be very careful. I would recommend taking a listen to one of the previous show podcasts with John Sartoris, where the focus of the discussion is specifically about some of the pitfalls about contractors and 1099s. The IRS has a somewhat different view about who's a contractor and who's an employee than you might and, frankly, a lot of employers have. And if you treat people like employees, you definitely run the risk of them claiming they were actually employees and were either wrongfully terminated or were are entitled to Social Security withholdings and, and other benefits that they didn't get, and that can be quite costly. You know, a lot of employers love 1099s because they can plug and play. Actually, a lot of the 1099s like it because of the flexibility, but the IRS believes that contractors should only be used for specific projects, not as plug and play people who are essentially, in their view, employees. Sales in particular, I think, is a risky area because it's one thing to contract with an accountant, you know, for a few hours of bookkeeping and data entry or to do taxes or to hire somebody who does your social media or webmaster who does a few hours of support here and there because they're in the business of providing those kind of services generally to a variety of companies and you're just one of them. So that's their business. So it's hard for them to argue they're an employee when they're doing the same thing for other businesses. But sales is generally not an administrative function. It's pretty integral to the success of the business. And it's also generally not something you just hire somebody for, say, two to three hours a month. These claims, unfortunately, tend to crop up when people feel like they're being treated unfairly or most likely when they're being terminated. I had a client recently with a 1099 salesperson and when that person was terminated, the person filed sued and claimed he was actually an employee under the law and was wrongfully terminated. So they ended up settling, but they settled because of those risks to my client for a significant chunk of money. So it's really important if you hire a 1099 that you make sure this person has other clients. Another option, though, that sometimes is available, not always, depends on the industry, depends on your location, is to hire a company that provides contract sales. There are companies out there like that whose business is to provide sales, either part-time, full-time, plug-and-play sales, if you are able to find this, you really need to think about, you know, are they dedicating specific individuals to your business so that you're not training all sorts of different people and dealing with lots of turnovers? And of course, you really want to think through the performance metrics. So Barbara, I know that doesn't answer your question because there's a lot I don't know about your situation, but I hope it does help you and maybe some of my other listeners 
some things to think through and some angles to consider. But I am happy to help you delve into this in more detail to come up with the right answer for your business if you want to ping me back. That's our show for this week. Thanks so much for listening. And thanks again, especially to our guest this week, Jason Weaver, the founder and CEO of something called Airdesk. You can find more helpful information and resources on my website, globalocityservices.com. There's a library there of free blogs, tools, podcasts, and other resources. My door is always open for comments, questions, suggestions, or just to shoot the breeze. You can email me at dnagel, N-A-G-E-L, at lakesradio.org. I promise you'll hear back from me. Now, be sure to join me again next Saturday, 11 a.m. Central, noon Eastern. But until then, I'm Doris Nagel, wishing you happy entrepreneuring.